1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we got to verse 14, I think, last week. We're going to start at 15 today. And, uh, and get, I, I was thinking maybe we could go all the way through 40, but it's not going to happen. Uh, so we're going to get through 25 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 15 through 25. Um, you know, when I, I, again, this whole thing, you look at this, and there are so many different subtopics in 1 Corinthians. But the main topic, if you want to look at it overall, the whole thing that he's working on is unity and edification of others in the church. And if you aren't um, unified, and if you don't have love, he talks about that a lot, then guess what? You're not going to really care or be concerned about building others up. And that was part of the problem in the church in Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to... um, to help correct some of their theological errors, of course, but also to c- correct some of their practical errors. In other words, to correct some of the things that they were practicing, the ways that they were living, the things that they were doing. Um, and so uh, we're going to read verses 15 through 25. And I know there's like two more chapters in this, but, um, but he starts out this part and says, what's the conclusion? <laughs> okay, well, he, you know, he wasn't Baptist um, but he was probably a good hellfire and brimstone in conclusion, and then six more points, right? So if you will, if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and if you can stand as we read, we'll read verses 15 through 25. The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, If you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. For prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus, the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Bow with me again, please. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Open your word to us. Open our hearts to your word. Help us to hear and to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. What then? You know, uh, if you, what is the conclusion then? The, the, um, the literal translation probably is, what then? Okay, what then? And that was probably a rabbinical teaching method. And what the rabbis would do is they would go through their lesson, they would teach their lesson, they would talk about what they're going to talk about, try to get the message across to their, uh, to their disciples, and then when they go, what then? 
And their hope would be that those disciples would have understood that everything would have clicked, that the light bulb would have gone on. They would have gotten and understood what the rabbi was talking about. And they would then say, what then? Or what is the conclusion then? What do you get? What do you gather? What do you understand from what I have just said? And that's kind of what the Apostle Paul is doing right here. He's saying, what then? What do you understand? Do you get it? Have you, has it connected with you? Or is the light bulb now turned on? Do you understand what I'm saying? What's the conclusion then? And he says then, I'll pray with the Spirit, and I'll also pray with the understanding. Now we can talk about this, and I read a couple uh, commentators, theologians, and some of them said that, um, that when you pray with the Spirit, man, you're praying with every bit of who you are, okay? And that's not what it means, Okay? Because what is he talking about? He's talking about tongues. He's talking about a spiritual language, okay? He's not talking about charisma. There's a whole lot of difference, okay? Um, not talking about somebody who just is real excited or real animated when they pray. That's what some people think, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, I will pray in a spiritual tongue. And I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with a spiritual tongue. And I will also sing with my understanding, okay? Now, um, you, you think about this whole idea of praying and praying with a spiritual tongue or praying with the tongue and praying uh, with understanding. Um, if I'm, and he, he comes on with this, and he says this later on. If I pray, um, uh, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the underformed say amen? So this is a prayer. They're praying a, a blessing of thanks, and they're praying a prayer uh, of blessing, okay? And so, but how will they know if you're praying in tongues when to say amen? Now, often, often, when somebody here prays, in the middle of the prayer, what do you hear? Somebody says amen. Sometimes, when I'm preaching, you even hear somebody say amen, okay? Now, what does it mean when you say amen? So be it, so let it be. Yes, that's right, is kind of how we kind of interpret it nowadays in our modern vernacular. Yes, that's right, so let it be. Amen. And so, how will they know to say, yes, that's right, amen, so let it be, if guess what? They don't know what you're saying. And so, the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to pray in tongues, and I will also pray in a language that you guys can understand. Um, <laughs> Kathy used to get on me a lot. I deserved it, just so you'll know, <laughs> because I would use words that I understood having come out of seminary, and she would go, what does that word mean? And maybe she knew what it meant, and maybe she didn't, but she wanted to make sure that I understood that most people who hadn't read the commentaries didn't know what that word meant. And I needed to explain to everybody what that word means. I'm better at that now, but I'm sure I still need to learn more, okay? But if I give you all these big words, does anybody know what soteriological is? Anybody? Somebody does, right? Yeah, like, huh? Speak English. That is the study of salvation, soteriology, right? Um, eschatology, anybody got that one? Somebody has that one, right? Eschatology is the study of the end times, right? Okay. What if something that you know, is there anything that you know is salvific? That means it's able to save. Okay? Only the blood of Jesus Christ is salvific. Okay? 
So now you see, um, we read these kind of words. And sometimes I'll give you that word and I'll translate that word. Why? Because maybe you'll learn that word that way. Now, I'm not trying to say, uh, okay, how do I say this? Why do I know those words? Because that's what I read and that's what I study. Okay? By the way, <coughs> there are a lot of words, good words, that you know that I don't know. Right? And if I'm listening to a conversation, um, especially about electricity or technology or something like that, and if I'm listening to Bernie sometimes talking about, about these kind of things, guess what? I'm not going to understand a thing he's saying. I remember a long time ago. I'll get to the rest of the message here in a minute. I remember when I was in Greenview, and there was a guy who was um, an electrical engineer. He had worked for uh, General Electric for quite a while. Now he was farming. And um, we were going to switch out some light switches, and there were three-way, okay? You know what that means? That means there's two of them. <laughs> Isn't that great? That means there's two of them. There are three-way switches. I know. Don't, I don't get it, right? But he said, he was explaining this to me, and I'm going, and I'm just glazing over. My eyes are glazing over. And he said, do you understand? I said, no, I'll just keep going. It's not going to matter if I understand now. I'm never going to understand. Just keep going. So there are lots of things that I don't understand. But what I do know and understand, hopefully I can explain well enough for you to understand too, right? But if I don't, guess what it's like? It's like I'm speaking in another language or I'm speaking in tongues. The Apostle Paul says, I am going to pray in tongues. I'm going to speak in tongues. I'm going to sing in tongues. And guess what? I'm also going to do all that with understanding. Let me give you another example. Singing. Singing. I know, that I looked around, okay? I know that every one of you here absolutely love it every time we introduce a brand new song. <laughs> and you know why? You know why you don't? Now, after a while, you hear that song 10, 12, 15 times. Maybe it starts to get into you, right? Maybe you start to understand it. Maybe you now are learning some of the words. Maybe you're now learning the beat, the rhythm, the music, the tune, whatever you want to call all those things, because I don't know what they are. There's some words I don't get, right? Rhythm. <laughs> okay? Not only do I not get the word, I don't get the rhythm, okay? All right? But I understand this whole idea. It's like, I don't like that song. Why don't we like it? Because we don't know it. Okay? And if we don't know it, you know what we're doing? We're sitting there or standing there looking around, waiting for and hoping for one to come that we know. Right? And you see that that's kind of the idea that the Apostle Paul is trying to get at here when he says, if somebody comes into your assembly and they sp start speaking in another tongue, that's not going to do you any good. Right? Unless there's an interpreter. And he says, so I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit instead of with the understanding, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed? In other words, and, and there's a, a big debate about what is the place of the uninformed here. Is it an unbeliever? Is it an unbeliever? Or is it somebody who doesn't understand the speaking in tongues? And they don't know. Okay? And here's the deal. You know, if somebody might say, well, that's what I'm going to ask Paul when I get to heaven. Here's my thinking. You're not going to need to. You're going to know it by then. You're going to have it figured out, right, when you get there. And that's not going to be the most important thing on your mind when you get to heaven. Okay? Okay? You're not going to be worried about that. So I'm not going to deal with that a whole lot. The place of the uninformed could be all kinds of things. Somebody that's not saved, somebody that doesn't understand uh, the speaking in tongues. How can they say amen at your giving of thanks? They don't know when. They don't understand what you're saying. Anybody ever been in a group with a bunch of people and some of them are from another uh, country? I loved, seriously, I thought it was great. 
I loved eating lunch with my Korean friends that I told you about. And often, often we would ask them to pray. Okay? We're sitting there with four or five uh, Americans, and we're lucky to know English very well. Maybe we know a few words in Spanish or French. We don't know anything else, hardly. And then we say, James, well, and, and we're sitting, of course, it's at, a, it's at a Christian university, and we're sitting eight or ten guys around the table, and we all sit down together, and none of us have prayed yet, and so we say, hey, James, your turn. Why don't you pray? And he starts praying in Korean, and we're going, okay, I'm not worried about what he's saying. I'm going to worry about what I'm going to pray. And then we hear this, and that's thank you, and then he says amen. And we know he's done because he said amen. But up until that time, we had no clue what he said. Okay, uh, but I love it. I love to hear that. But I also want to know when it's finished. Okay. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say Amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For indeed, you give thanks. Well, I'm confident that my Korean friends, that their prayers of thanks, their prayers for the food and blessing for the food. Can you get this seriously? I love Korean food, but when we lived in the dorm. A lot of the guys in the dorm didn't want to smell the Korean food. Okay? They didn't want to smell it. And it wasn't just the kimchi. Okay? Can you imagine, though, being a, a foreigner, coming from another country to a school, and everything is totally different? And you're used to food that's got flavor. And I'm talking flavor and um, aroma. Okay? And you go into an American college uh cafeteria and you smell that hamburger that has no flavor on it i mean i didn't feel sorry for the americans in the dorm what bit what one bit i felt sorry for the koreans who had to come in and put up with that and not have the flavor that they wanted enough of all of that but they gave thanks for that american food anyway at least i think that's what they did How should he know how to say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified because they don't understand what you're saying. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Now again, again, we don't know for sure. Uh, I want you to notice something else that he did for a while here. In 14 um, and 15, he's talking for I pray, if I pray, if I pray, if I pray. And then he goes into 16 and 17 and he goes, you. He's going from singular, uh, first person, to plural, third person, okay? He's talking about himself. He's setting himself up as an example in, uh, in, in 14 and 15. And then when he gets into 16 and 17, he's going to them, okay? He wants them to understand that what he's doing is, is the example that they should follow, okay? I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others, that I might teach others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. You know, I would rather speak five words rather than 10,000. Five words with my understanding rather than 10,000 in a tongue. And I look at this and I think, I've heard that phrase before. That I may teach others also. Or just the phrase, teach others also. And... And because it's one of my most favorite verses, I remembered where it was. 
And, and the sad part about this is that word teach, I was thinking it might be the same word, same Greek word. They're two different Greek words, okay? But this is from 2 Timothy 2, 2. And the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. He says in 2, 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, I looked that up and because uh, I wanted to know what's the, what's the word there. And that word uh, there um, is tadasko. Um, it means to teach. It means to instruct. It's a word where there is, uh, in 2 in Timothy, it's a word where it probably means uh, where you're not just giving individual instruction. You might have four or five or, or, or so, 12. It might be something where there's more back and forth together, okay? And then, then this one here is the word katiko, katiko. We get our word catechism from that, okay? And I just think it's really important that we understand that the most important thing to Paul was that, or one of the most important things to Paul, was that speaking five words with understanding was more important than speaking 10,000 words in a tongue. And I went to a church one time, a long time ago, and a uh, great little guy. Um, did you go? A bunch of the guys from the dorm room at Baptist Student Center. And uh, um, we loaded up in this guy's Suburban, and, um, and uh, they drove us to this church. And um, one of the things that they did was, uh, of course, they, it was a Pentecostal church. I never experienced that before in my life. Never experienced the speaking in tongues. And... Um, and uh, never experienced this. When they said, let's pray, everybody prayed. Out loud, all at once. And to me, it was kind of chaotic, okay? Just because I'd never experienced that before. Um, but I can imagine that to the Corinthians, and see, when Paul writes to them, he doesn't mention things that aren't they don't need to deal with, okay? So when he brings something up in one of his letters, he brings it up for a reason, all right? He's not just going, oh, I'll tell you about this too, even though you don't need to know about it. No, he's talking about things that they need to deal with, that they need to control. And so when he talked about love in the chapter earlier, it was like, it was because guess what? They didn't know how to love like they should have. The person that they loved was themselves. They were arrogant. They were uh, boastful. They were proud. They wanted to push themselves in front of the crowd so that they would be seen, many of them. And he was trying to teach them there's a better way. You got to love other people. Okay, and so when he talks about this speaking in tongues, can you imagine which one seems most impressive? Speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues to them of that day seemed the most impressive. They would look at those people and they go, man, they're really spiritual. God's really got a hold of them. That must be somebody that I can really look up to. And that's what the people wanted. That's what the, those that were speaking in tongues wanted. They wanted people to look up to them. They wanted them to be impressed by them. They wanted them to think that they were really somebody and that they were spiritual and that God was doing something with them and in them. And the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not so important. Speaking in tongues, unless it's something that they can understand, unless there's an interpreter, guess what? It's not important. Take, take these numbers, okay? And they're symbolic, probably. I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. That is, well, what's 10,000 divided by five? It's like one two hundredth. Is that about right? Math people? One two thousandth? Yeah. 
It's not very much. And the Apostle Paul said, I'd rather teach just a little bit so somebody can understand one little thing than somebody speak for all day long in a tongue and not understand a word that anybody said. And what's his purpose of doing that? That I may teach others also. I may teach others also. You know, um, and why is that important? You know, like I said, there's some things that are important to the Apostle Paul. One of them is, of, of course, is unity, okay? And that happens through love. And the other one is, of course, correct doctrine. And, and that's a word that we don't really care much about, doctrine. But we need to understand and to know doctrine. We need to get it right. Um, and the Apostle Paul, and the problem, part of the problem for the Corinthians is they weren't getting it right. They didn't understand it. They had maybe some of the basic uh, uh, just the general stuff, but they didn't have a whole lot of the other stuff. They were, they were surfacy with their doctrine, okay? And he says, I want you to learn doctrine. And then he goes on to 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. You remember that story I told a couple weeks ago about that little boy on my bus that said uh, to his sister, give it to me? Remember that story? He was sitting in the same seat with her. I've since moved them because they can't get along. He's not sitting with anybody else either because he can't get along with them either. And he said, give it to me. Give it to me. I want it. Give it to me. Looked at her again and said, you're selfish. And I'm going, that's a child's understanding of selfishness. She's selfish because she won't give it to him, but he's selfish because he's demanding it of her. Okay? And the Corinthians were much like that. Not, I don't want to badmouth all of them, Okay? But apparently, a few of them, quite a number of them were like that because they were children in understanding. They got what they got, and that was about it. And they didn't really care about getting any more. And he says, don't be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. Now, remember, the Apostle Paul doesn't write about things that aren't important to write about. He doesn't put something in unless it needs to be dealt with. So apparently, these people, some of them, were children in understanding. But boy, in malice, they were strong. Malice. Bad stuff, meanness, all right? And he says, but in understanding, be mature. You heard anything like that before? <laughs> Not if you've been told that personally, <laughs> but have you heard anything like that in the scriptures? In understanding, be mature? Because, uh, you know, First um, Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter 2, I think it's verse 15. If I can get there, my fingers aren't working. Chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And in some versions it says, study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. Be diligent. Um, uh, in understanding, be mature. How are we going to be mature in understanding? We're going to do it by the reading and the study of God's word. That's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it by, by listening to um, biblical, scriptural teaching and preaching. And if you, and if you just if you listen to somebody um, speaking in tongues all the time, you don't understand what they're saying, it's not going to help your understanding. Okay? And so, but in understanding, be mature. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, he talked about this a lot in some other places. Okay? Uh, this, this one here. First uh, Corinthians thirteen eleven. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And then in uh, 
Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, he says, Until we come to the unity of the faith, and to the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a perfect man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no more be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You see, they needed to understand correct doctrine. Why? Because when they understand correct doctrine, it hopefully leads to correct practice. Orthodoxy, correct doctrine, leads to orthopraxy, correct practice. Okay? See what I did there? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. You see it? See it? Orthodoxy, a word we may not know, right? Correct doctrine. Orthopraxy, a word we may not know. Correct practice. All right? Yeah, she taught me that. In the law, the Apostle Paul says, it is written, with men of other tongues, with other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. Uh, this is interesting to me because um, this is not written in the law. It's in Isaiah, okay? But the Apostle Paul is referring to all of the Old Testament writings as the law in this case, okay? And it's not exactly this wording either, but this is where he gets it from, okay? With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the conquerors, the conquerors that are going to come in and if they don't learn from the conquerors who take over, who, um, who maraud and who plunder, guess what? They're not listening very well, are they? Okay? And then he goes on and he says, therefore, tongues are for a sign. Now, I don't know, and they're trying to interpret. I'm going to read the rest of this for you. Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Okay, now, tongues are for a sign to unbelievers. But if you move down um, to 23... It says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say you're out of your mind? Now, wait a minute. Tongues are for a sign for unbelievers, but they're the ones that are going to say you're out of your mind. So at this point, it looks like they're for a sign and over here it looks like are for unbelievers and this side it looks like they're not for unbelievers. And then he says, but prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Then he goes down here and he says, um, but if all prophesy and all an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced or convicted by the prophecy. So it looks like he's switching sides. It looks like he's, looks like he's saying uh, tongues is not for an unbeliever, but it is. Prophecy is for believers, but wait a minute, it's for unbelievers. And so we're trying to, <laughs> theologians have tried to, um, tried to rectify that, tried to fit that all back together. And I'm not sure I really know how to do it, but I want you to think about it like this. You remember what Jesus said about this evil and sinful generation in Mark in Matthew chapter 12, 39? Do you remember what he said? <clears throat> he said something like, they want a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the sign of Jonah. And the Son of Man will be in the, in, in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And they still will not believe. He talked about the sign given all of the time or constantly, a sign is given to them. They wanted to see a sign. And what did he say about the Corinthians in, uh, was it what, chapter 1, verse 22? Anybody remember that? The Greeks, not just the Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 22, he said, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. They want a sign. They want something that, that is going to prove to them uh, that what is being said is the truth, a sign, some kind of a miraculous sign, okay? And Jesus said, I'm not going to do one for you to believe. Now, he did lots of signs and miracles, but it wasn't for that purpose, okay? I'm not going to do a sign or perform a sign just so you can believe. There will be one big sign, and that will be what he said was 
Jesus, the Son of Man, will descend into the earth. He will be there for three days. He will raise, rise from the dead, and he will ascend into, he- ascend into heaven. That's the sign. If you can't believe that, all the other ones that he performed, which are much less than that, are not going to convince you. But when his apostles ask him, uh, you know, the scripture tells us that he spoke in parables. And, and the apostles ask him, why do you speak in parables to them? Why do, you, why do you tell us the secrets of the parables and you don't tell them? And he said, because seeing they will not see and hearing they will not hear. And I, I look at this idea of this as a sign, as something that, that for um, those who are just not going to believe, they're just, this isn't going to help them. It's a sign and it says, this is something that's happening here. God is working here, but you're not going to believe it. So you don't need to hear the truth of the scripture through prophecy. Okay, now, again, I could be wrong about that. Uh, there are many theologians that are much better than me. Um, but if that's a sign for them, and the sign's not going to cause them to believe, what's the biggest sign, the most important sign? The rising of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the one they need to hear. That's the one they need to see. That's the one they need to understand. That's the one they need to believe. And so then he says, but if all prophesy, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there, and, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. What is the point of prophecy for believers? It's to build us up, isn't it? I mean, the point of preaching, the point of teaching, the point of somebody sharing uh, a good word from the Scripture with us, it's to build us up, to help us learn, to teach us so that we can be stronger as Christians. That's the point of prophecy for Christians. What's the point of prophecy for, for unbelievers? To convince them of the truth of the Word of God and to convict them of their sin. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. An unbeliever or an uninformed person, if he comes in, he's convinced and he's convicted. And... The secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you, which is probably something he's not going to do if all he hears is somebody speaking in tongues. And by the way, I, I, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul, I mean, he says here, I speak in t- with tongues more than all of you. He doesn't denigrate that at all. He doesn't put down the idea of speaking in tongues. But what he says is, If you want to edify the church, if you want to build up the church, they've got to understand what you're saying. They've got to understand it. It's got to go into their ears, through their brain, and down to their heart. And it can't do that if they don't understand it. He will fall down on his face, worship God, and report that God is truly among you. See, that's what, that's what it's about. That's what the scripture is about. That's what Bible study is about. That's what worship is about. That's what hearing the word of God is about. Understanding that there is a God, that he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, his only begotten son, that if we simply believe in him, we would have eternal life. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants. And he wants this church in Corinth to be, and this church in Streeter, to be a church where people know that that truth is being lived out and that that truth is being taught and that the people from here 
are exemplifying that truth wherever they go. That we are examples of that truth wherever we go. That people go, he goes to Urban Avenue, she goes to Urban Avenue. I know they believe in Jesus. I know that because I can see the way they live their life even when they're not at Urban Avenue Baptist Church. I've never spoken in tongues. Sometimes my English has been so bad that it might have sounded like I was speaking in tongues. I don't, that's not a gift of the Spirit. That's just sometimes a muddled mind. What I hope, though, is that when I preach and when I live, people see Christ. I, I, I want my preaching to be, I don't even like the word, but attractive. Somebody said to me, Pastor Curtis, yesterday or last Sunday, I wasn't sleeping. And I said, if you're tired, that's okay. He said, my eye was hurting, and I just had to close my eyes. I was watering real badly. I hope my preaching doesn't put you to sleep. But I understand being tired on Sunday morning. And I want my preaching to be attractive, enough to keep you awake most of the time. And yet if it's not, I want Jesus Christ to be understood, to be preached from the pulpit, and to be preached from our daily lives so that people come to Christ. You know, one of the things that I've, uh, it's in the newsletter, and I'll just kick it out real quickly here. I'm reading a book called The Future Church. And with um, every book that I read, there are things in it that I disagree. But one of the things that this, these two men have written is that every church has a, he calls it a crowd cloud, a cloud of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses gathered around. And if we count out, and I think I counted somewhere around everybody else out there, around 40 to 42 people this morning, if we have an average of 40 adults in our worship service every week, and every one of us has somewhere, I would just give the number 20, around 20 people that we see throughout the week, we don't just have an impact on 40 people on Sunday morning. We have an impact, hopefully, on somewhere around 800 people every week. If each one of us, and, and it, it may be 10, it may be 5, it may be 20, it may be 40, but an average of 20 people a week that we have contact with, that because we are loving Jesus, being loved by Him, that we are loving others, because of those things, we have the opportunity to share the good news with, Jesus Christ, with others about Jesus Christ. 800 people. And eventually what you'll see is some of those 800 want to know more and maybe want to be a part of Urban Avenue Baptist Church and maybe want to be a part, even more importantly, of the family of God through Jesus Christ. And to me, that's what it's about. So we're going to have a hymn of decision here in just a second. And we always offer a few things. One, 
If you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be down at the front. I'm going to be ready to listen to you, to share with you, to pray with you if you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Might be that, that there's some other issue on your mind, on your heart. Might be that you just need to come, kneel here, sit in the front pew and pray. Might be that everything on your mind, you're perfectly fine praying about right where you are. And that's all good too. So I'm going to come to the front in a minute and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And if there's something on your mind, some decision that you need to make, then you come while we sing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your love. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for Jesus. God, I pray that you help us live the way you call us to live. Live a life, a private life, a, a professional life, a life out in front of others that draws others to your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.